we have been journeying to this day to finally get to the story. We have journeyed over the Advent weeks with Isaiah for two weeks and then breaking into the Gospel of John last week and now to Bethlehem. I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And uh, we hear the story, a story that we've heard many times, but to be reminded. And maybe look at it with some fresh eyes. I, uh, fresh eyes, I, I am having trouble. I'm, I got new glasses coming. Are they printing this in smaller print than ever before? I was in a meeting in Coeur d'Alene on Thursday, and, and I got, as soon as I got back here, and I sat in my chair in the office, they called and said, your glasses are ready. Um, so I don't have them today. So I hope this is a story you know fairly well. Cut me a little slack, because I'm going to have to hold it up fairly close as I'm struggling a little bit. But I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel, Luke chapter 2, starting at the beginning of the chapter. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You can be seated. It's 101 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 101 miles. According to Google Maps, it should take them about 33 hours to make the journey. Of course, um, that's walking time. That doesn't include the meals and the rest stops along the way. Of course, if you had to walk 33 hours, I'm thinking the last portion of the journey might be a little slower. It might take a little longer. And Google, when they come up with their formulas, they're thinking you're walking on nice paved roads with nice bridges and everything is in good shape. And that certainly wasn't the case in the first century. Google also doesn't take into account that uh, there could be bandits along the way. They don't take into account that you could have a giant rain and wash out the road and you have to walk around the other way. They don't take into account that there might be no room in the inn. And if you're nine months pregnant and you're making this journey, you might as well throw the Google estimation out the window because it's just not going to happen. It's hard to imagine how difficult this journey really was. Long, tiring, exhausting, dangerous, unpredictable, and you might add words like inadvisable or foolhardy. But it wasn't Joseph and Mary's idea. They, they are not taking a vacation. They're, they're not heading south for the winter. Caesar Augustus has called for a census, and everyone is to go to their ancestral home. Joseph lives in Nazareth. It is 101 miles north 
of Bethlehem. But that's where his family is and that's where he must go. Many days, difficult days of travel ensue. Mary, I am sure, threatening to go into labor at any moment. And all of this so that they can sign a couple pieces of paper and pay taxes. I'm sure this did not add to Caesar's popularity. It is stuff like this that really starts to bother you about invading occupying dictators or the IRS, either one. Count Mary and Joseph, among the countless people who through the ages have suffered under some soulless bureaucracy. They, they represent all of the poor, the powerless, the defenseless, from everywhere and every place who have ever had to live under the Caesars of this world. They represent those that are disrespected and those that are oppressed, put down, and feel out of control. Joseph and Mary, they go on this, this long, difficult journey at the worst possible time. Why? Because they have to. Because it is just part of the circumstances of their life. This is not their choice. This is not the way they would do it. This isn't how they would go. It's not up to them. Sometimes we just find ourselves in the circumstances of life and that's where we find ourselves. And even though Bethlehem is his ancestral city, it seems that either the family is not very close or the family has moved away because he can find no place to stay except for the place where the animals lay down. And that's where Mary ends up having the baby. They go to Bethlehem to be counted, but the irony is that they don't count. At least not to the Romans. They are nobodies. Their only hope, if they have hope, is not in Caesar Augustus. Their hope is not in, uh, is not in the state. Their hope is not in the, in the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Their hope, for all they have, is in the God of Israel, who is along the journey with them. As American power and influence has grown over the last century, we as a society have tended to, to find our hope and to place our peace in the government that is around us. And yet terrorists are striking and predators are preying on children and economies are faltering and, and North Korea is hacking and two police officers killed in New York point blank yesterday. Our culture becomes harsher and more polarized, more angry, less compassionate. And you think about even in our own lives. We, we are pretty good, at, at least at right up front, trying to say we can do this on our own. We, we can make it on our own. We're pretty self-sufficient. We can handle whatever comes our way. That attitude lasts as long as something happens. We lose a loved one or we get a diagnosis. We face an illness. We go through a divorce. We struggle with an addiction. We watch our children struggle or suffer. We watch people that we know make terrible choices. And then we quickly are reminded and we quickly begin to understand that, that we need a hope that is beyond ourselves. And if we're really going to have peace in this world, it won't be by something we've manufactured because we've tried that over and over again. At some point, all of us become Mary's and Joseph's traveling on a weary road that we did not choose for ourselves and yet it's where we find ourselves to be. It's 101 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. A long, hard journey. It's 6,656 miles from Sandpoint to Bethlehem as the crow flies. 
And you know, if we were to go, it wouldn't be as the crow flied. We would have to go all different kind of places, and we'd have stops, and we'd have layovers, and we'd have all that. But if we left church today and went into Spokane International Airport and got on an airplane, we would still make it to Bethlehem before Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth. But for us, the road to Bethlehem is more a journey of the heart. It is a journey towards hope. It is a journey towards peace. It is a journey towards the wonder and the promise and the love of the God who broke open the heavens and came. And he came at unexpected times and unexpected places, and he's a God who still does the same. Joseph and Mary made this long journey to Bethlehem, not yet married, subject to uh, ridicule, wondering perhaps if the angelic visions they had, were, were, they, were they really true or, or, or was it the pizza they ate the night before? And yet we never see a sign of that. We never see a sign of that at all. In fact, what we do see is Mary saying, may it be as you have said. Trusting in the midst of their circumstances, in the midst of this difficult road. For the most part, Palestine consists of the dangerously uh, rugged expanse of land, arid temperatures and scorched soil. The earth is parched, the vegetation is scarce, and so is the water. This is the land in which Joseph and Mary are making this journey and trudging along. This is the landscape. But as they approach Bethlehem, things begin to change. Bethlehem was different. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. For, for travelers who are approaching Bethlehem, they begin to get excited because now they are, they are walking through the wheat fields. They are, they are walking through the vineyards. In the, in the middle of what has been this desolate environment, here is this, this fertile land appears, and there are figs and there are olives, and Bethlehem is a place of promise. Now, Bethlehem was not known as a religious city before the days of Jesus' birth. No one thought of it as a holy city. Jerusalem was the holy city. Jerusalem is six miles away, and yet culture-wise, it's far greater than six miles away. Bethlehem. It was a governmental center. Herod lived in Bethlehem. The tax collectors lived in Bethlehem. The census takers lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not a spiritual place. It was the the lineage, the ancestral city of David. It had been hundreds of years, and yet still, when Bethlehem came up, that's what people's mind went to. They still held on to that. Bethlehem, it's that little city next to Jerusalem whose glory days were long past. There are a few references to Bethlehem in Scripture. Micah speaks of the coming of the glory of Bethlehem, but it seems like kind of a quaint idea. There, there are other the prophecies that talk about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, but they haven't seen anything about it. I mean, this is not a good time for a Messiah to come anyway in the midst of occupation, in the midst of all of those things. What we know about Bethlehem is that it looks like its, its best days are in the past. Uh, according to prophecy, there might be some good days in the future, but there is nothing good in the present. There is no good promise. This, these are tough days. Foreign occupation. The nation is at a low point. And as is God's way... That's exactly the moment he decided to break in. When the things were difficult, when it, when it seemed like, like there is no way, in, in this city that had a past, in this city that might have a future, but certainly doesn't have anything current, God breaks in. And he was born not in Bethlehem, but a particular place in Bethlehem. He, he's born not in an inn, he is born in a stable for animals, a most humble place where Mary gives birth. Luke 
tells the story of that night. We read it. You're familiar with it. The child born in a stable, put in a manger. Now, we have told this story. We have heard this story again and again. In fact, we've kind of probably romanticized the story. When we think about the story, we think about the little manger over there and our, our, our third and fourth graders gathered around. We, we think of the cuteness of, of all of the moment. But there is not a person here who wants to give birth in a barn. Right? There is not a person here. If the only place you could lay your child, the only place you could lay them is, is the place where the animals eat, that is not a choice that we would want to make. It is not romantic. It is not glamorous. It is not comfortable. It is not sterile or hygienic. And it certainly was not easy. And then the angels bring the, the news of this birth. They, they don't go to the leading citizens, not to the world leaders, but they go to the lowest of the low, the shepherds. This unexpected birth in an unexpected place announced to unexpected people, God comes. And I would imagine those who were there in the barn that night found great hope and joy. And all these years later, we now know that the world changed that day. And all these years later, it still brings joy and peace and hope and love. Because if the birth of Christ could be celebrated by the rough shepherds, then the message of the angel was absolutely true. This really is good news of great joy for all people. This season, some of us find ourselves like Mary and Joseph, traveling a hard road that we didn't choose for ourselves, but it's the one we find ourselves on. For some, it's a literal road. Sometimes it can be a literal, a literal road. In the last two weeks, we've had at least three of our families literally have to get on the road to take quick journeys to have funerals of, of loved ones. For some, for some, the road is a literal road that's tough to travel. But, but I know that there are those of you who are also in the midst of hard journeys. And sometimes a journey is not about traveling. And yet it is difficult nonetheless. Some, some journeys are 101 miles. Some are 6,656 miles. But the hardest journeys take place in the heart and soul. And they can be the longest of them all. We can reach a place in our journey where we are no longer confident in our progress. We can reach a point in our journey where, where we no longer believe in the promise of Caesar. We can reach a point in our journey where our own resources and our own strength and our own intelligence and our own good looks and our own good fortune no longer take us any further. And it is when we reach that point, and all of us reach that point, it is when we reach that point that just maybe we're ready for the God of Bethlehem to break in. When we come to that point on the journey where everything we have done and everything we have tried isn't getting us anywhere, then maybe we are ready for the God of hope to bring real hope and real peace. God does not force His will upon us. Rarely does God show up with pyrotechnic displays. Sometimes God arrives in the unexpected ways, in unexpected places, through unexpected people, right in the midst of the difficult journey. And here's what I want to say on this Sunday right before Christmas. Sometimes God could show up today. Right in the midst of the journey. 
right in the midst of where you find yourself being. Not even expecting to find Him here today. He is the God who longs to break in. To break into the difficulty of the road you're on, to break into that relationship, to break into the, to the job situation, to break into whatever it is. God is the God who, who breaks in. I had my own break-in this week. My own come-to-Jesus meeting with just me and Jesus. My journey as of recent has, has not been the smoothest. It has been a seven-day, 12-hour-day craziness and situations and stuff. And, and it's, it's not a journey that I have chosen, but it is the road I find myself on. And um, I was driving along, and this radio commercial comes on. And it had this wonderful Christmas music playing. And the commercial had this family sitting around the fireplace, and, and you can just see the lights as they're talking, and they're drinking hot chocolate, and they're having this wonderful time. And, and all of a sudden, just something in me just snapped. I haven't even had hot chocolate this year. More than that, I thought, why, why can't I have that kind of rest? And it was like God broke in right there in that moment in my truck and hit me. And he said, if you're, waiting for your, if you're waiting to find peace in the midst of your circumstance, you've got a long time to wait. If you're waiting to find the peace of God in your circumstance, you have a long time to wait. See, in Christmas we celebrate the God who reaches out to us even in the midst of the tough journey. The love of God who breaks in. The love of God who came in the weakness and the vulnerability, born in a baby to a young, poor, overwhelmed parents. We celebrate at Christmas the God who, who breaks in not just at Bethlehem, but breaks in all the way along the journey. The God who breaks in in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves. He's the God of Christmas that we celebrate and give God thanks and we are able to say, God, thank you for Bethlehem. Thank you for being with me on the journey. Thank you for those tough places. Thank you in the midst of them. Not that, not that I would choose to go through those places. Not that I would choose to find myself in whatever situation you find yourself in. But God, you are with me. That's what Emmanuel is. Thank you for Bethlehem, the house of bread, where, where the empty are filled and the filled are emptied, where the poor find uh, riches and where the rich recognize their poverty. And we're all who kneel. We're all who kneel receive this outpouring of God's grace upon their life. It can be a long road, a tough road to Bethlehem. But at the end of that road, and sometimes and often in the midst of that road, if we will let him, he breaks in and brings peace and hope and love. And not only did he break in in Luke chapter 2, but he's the God who breaks in today in 2014, in the midst of wherever you find yourself, in the midst of whatever road to Bethlehem you're on, He is the God who still is breaking in. And my prayer for you on this Sunday that, that, that comes just short of Christmas, my wish for you is that we, we stop seeking peace in our circumstance. 
And that we stop seeking peace in our journey. Or we stop seeking peace in the state. Or we stop seeking peace in the season. And that we come to that realization once again in our life that if we're to find true peace, it is from the Prince of Peace. Jesus said in the Gospel of John 14, said, Peace I give to you. My peace I leave to you. I do not give peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Christmas is a reminder that the God of peace and the God of hope and the God of love and the God of joy, all the themes of the candles we lit this season, is the God who didn't just break in once, but He's the God who continues to break in today. He is the God who breaks in to that circumstance that might not change tomorrow. But if you'll let Him, He goes with you. Would you stand? Father, we give You thanks today for Your amazing grace. We've come today, we've worshipped through some great Christmas songs, we've been blessed by the kids. We've opened up your scripture. And God, we're reminded that you really are the author of peace. We're reminded through the journey of, of Mary and Joseph, a difficult journey, finding themselves on a road they didn't choose. You were with them. And Father, I wonder, as we stand on the edge of Christmas, not not quite there yet, as we stand on the edge of Christmas, Could we experience your peace? Could we experience that hope and joy and love that isn't about our circumstance? In fact, even even this moment, God, maybe we need to give you some of our circumstances. Maybe that's how we need to prepare. Advent is this time of preparing. Maybe that's how we need to prepare for for just a few days from now when we gather together again on Christmas Eve. Could could we give you our circumstances today? Could we give you our, our struggles? Could we give you our worries? Could we give you all of those things? And God... Could you bring upon us a sense of your incredible peace? And I just know there are some folks here today that are starving for your peace to be a part of their life. God, would you just pour yourself out even in this moment, even in this very place? Would you pour yourself out so that as we head towards these days, towards Christmas, we might know that no matter where the road takes us, You are with us. God, may your peace be real. May we leave this place knowing you deeper, loving you more than when we came. May we be the light in which darkness cannot extinguish. May we reflect you into a world that is so in need of the Prince of Peace. As we go, we go expecting expecting you to come and go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you and your journey.